The UK may have voted to leave the EU, you might have heard about that, but European football still has heavy British involvement. Two of the last three Champions League finals have been all English affairs and of the 12 clubs involved in European semi-finals this week across three competitions. Five are either from England or Scotland. Will that domination continue or will there be Brexits across the board? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. I'm voting to remain with a top-tipping team today, starting with my regular wingman, Mark O'Hare. Mark, let's start with the Champions League semis. Manchester City at home to Real Madrid. The Premier League leaders 1.5 to win the first leg. Real have knocked out Paris. They've knocked out Chelsea in the last couple of ties. You write them off at your peril, don't you? Yeah, I think they do require a degree of respect. Um, City strong favourites, as you probably would expect as well. But um, I think when you look at that price immediately and you see Real Madrid's price around 7.4 and you think they might be a little bit undervalued. But in theory, if you look at the City's prices at the Etihad this season, uh, the biggest price they have been was around evens or just shy of odds on um, against Liverpool, which is understandable. Outside of that, 1.67 against Chelsea and 1.43 against Man United. So the market has picked, uh, pitched Real Madrid somewhere in between of those two, which I think is probably a fair comparison, really. Madrid were on the outsiders against Chelsea, and you know it's always difficult to compare and contrast leagues and competitions. But you know, you, in your intro there, you've kind of outlined how strong the Premier League has been in European competitions. So I think it's understandable for City to be rated quite a degree higher than Real Madrid. Um, but I guess there's always an the opportunity for an underdog to, to spring a surprise. And uh, I think if you're looking for, for weaknesses in the Man City setup, um, injuries potentially in defence with Carl Walker and John Stones, doubts. I think Stones will be fine. Uh, Walker is a doubt. And you've got Jacques Cancelo suspended as well. So potentially missing your two first choice fullbacks, which would require a, a reshuffle. Um, Pep Guardiola in a Champions League tie requiring a reshuffle. You know, sometimes that does give you a few concerns. But apart from that, it's. It's hard to find too many weaknesses in this City team. And, um, you know, Real Madrid, I kind of wrote them off before the Chelsea match, and particularly after the PSG tie, and said they're not winning the Champions League. But I still kind of look at those last two ties and think for, for sort of three quarters of both of them, they were second best. Um, and so you just can't kind of, you can't sort of get away from them, the fact that they haven't been very good yet. They've got this far. Um, I don't want to sort of be sort of biased, not biased, but kind of, trying to look into those results and the fact they've overcome PSG and Chelsea um, because I just don't think they're very good, to be honest. <laughs> but <laughs> when you look at their squad, when they have got a full squad available, that is pretty strong. Um, there is doubts now over Casemiro and um, someone else whose name escapes me now. But, you know, if you look at the first 11, Modric is playing like he's 10 years younger. And I think when Valverde's in there, that midfield has a massive helping hand in terms of legs and energy. The defence is reasonably strong. Benzema's in the form of his life. Vinicius on the break is a threat for any defence. And, and Courtois, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. So I can see why people might want to be with Real Madrid at that big price. But um, I just think going into this first leg tie, I don't think we'll see a similar performance to what we saw at Paris. I think they were overly cautious there because of the front three they're up against. But something similar to what we saw in the second half at Stamford Bridge, perhaps. Not quite Atletico standards, but a realisation that they 
They ideally need to stay in the tie going back to the Bernabeu. They will stay compact. They will be difficult to play through, but with a threat on the counter-attack. And the goal expectancy has been set quite high here. Um, I think a touch too high, particularly in both semi-finals, actually first legs, considering the magnitude of, of the matches. But um, yeah, I, I want to be with Pro City, to be honest. Um, I still think uh, throughout the team that they are the more controlled, they are the more capable of, of picking up a result in this first leg tie. I think the, the price on them to win the match is, is absolutely fine in fairness. So I'd be backing City to win and um, under three and a half goals, which is not far off six to four. Um, it was around 2.4, 2.45. You just get a load of correct scores on side. You also get to play that under side too. So yeah, I think still, still think City are a bit too strong. If this match was played immediately after the PSG tie, I'd be very confident. So um just that first half really at Stamford Bridge, which kind of uh, kind of worries you a little bit, and and the ability of those forward players to to produce when it when the pressure counts. I heard that the front page of Marker tomorrow is Marco Hare says we're not very good. We'll show him. Uh, odds compiler and betting expert Mark Stinchcomb's been on terrific form on the show in the last few weeks. Stinch, what do you make of this clash? City, of course, the firm favourites, but as always, and Mark's alluded to it there. Pep Guardiola and his team under enormous pressure to deliver in this competition. So are we going to see Edison at right back, maybe something along those lines? Potentially, I suppose. But <laughs> He probably good. could play right back, couldn't he? I mean, he played, I think he played Fabian Delft left back against Spurs a few years ago when Spurs knocked them out of, uh, in, in the first leg anyway. And then in the second leg, there was, I think there was that controversial disallowed goal and Spurs went through. But yeah, he played Fabian Delft left back, which was, which was very bizarre. Yes, yeah, so he might do. Um, I don't think that's something we can necessarily guess in advance. To be honest, I'm, I'm expecting this to be. Am I putting the pressure on here? I'm expecting this to be a formality for City, to be honest. Um, wow, okay. I think this is 11 men against one. This is just Man City v Karim Benzema FC. Like, I don't... I think this Real Madrid team is not that good. Um, You're going to be on page three of marketing. <laughs> I don't play golf, so I should be all right. Um, yeah, I, I just think... I think it's going to be quite straightforward. But the thing is, the way I'm looking to get involved in this doesn't rely on... Um, being correct in that in terms of the outcome of the score I was having to look a little bit deeper into the match and I was looking at back in City to have 17 or more shots at five to six I'm just expecting Madrid to sit back basically and concede a lot of shots I think what we've seen of them away in Europe this season is the template for how they're going to come into this game here uh, when they went to Stamford Bridge, they conceded 20 shots for, against Chelsea, five on target. They went to Paris, they conceded 21 shots with eight on target. And when they went to Inter, they conceded 18 with five on target. And you look at the fact they obviously played each other just two seasons ago in the 19-20 the season. And in this game when City were at home, which was the second leg where they were already 2-1 up, so didn't necessarily need to attack. City had 21 shots with nine on target. And you look at the first leg as well, which was obviously in, in Madrid. Um, City had 16 shots with eight on target. So I don't think there's any reason really to think that the game's going to play out in a, in a different manner. And if you actually look at Real Madrid under Ancelotti compared to Z under Zidane, who was in charge for those two games, Madrid actually conceded nearly 20% more shots 
in that time so they're more passive when they're out of possession so yeah I think that's I think that's quite a good way to try and get City on side and also I thought a bigger price you could back City to have nine or more shots on target and nine to two as I said before when when they met here uh, City had nine when Real Madrid went to PSG they conceded eight on target and in the um, first leg in the Bernabeu when these two met a couple of years ago City had eight on target so that's, I think that's quite a big price based on what looks like almost like an average expectation. The data doctor, Jake Oskarthorpe from InfoGoal, has been putting up the bunting with the European flags and painting the XG robots. Jake, we talk a lot about unsustainable runs of form. Given the data, are these guys right about Real Madrid's performances in this competition being unsustainable? The data says so, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed Stinch's little attack on Real Madrid there. Um, Kind of stole a bit of my thunder because I was going to go in, maybe not as hard, but um, somewhere (laughs) in between. Even more unpopular than Gareth Bale in Madrid by the end of this (laughs) week. I think so, yeah. I (laughs) I love Gareth Bale. (laughs) (laughs) Even more. He'll Um, love you now. (laughs) Now now you've made him a bit more popular. Taking the spotlight away from him. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very much pro City in this um, for many of the reasons the guys have said. Not only a City looking really, really strong, but yeah, Real Madrid are performing at a level that is unsustainable. But the only big sort of caveat to that is that this is knockout football, and we have seen teams that perhaps don't deserve to get past, get through, um, and, and win trophies uh, do manage to do that in these competitions over a full 38 game season this these kind of performances wouldn't see Real Madrid win a league title but the way in which they are operating um the clinicality with which they are uh, taking the chances it does make them very dangerous um and it is very much a it is unsustainable but it is also uh, uh, it's unpredictable which is what it, when it comes to this kind of football this knockout football it is very much um unpredictable when it comes to whether Benzema is going to take all three of his chances um which he can but isn't this what always happens to City Jake every time (laughs) we talk about how dominant they are over a 38 game season and yet just weird things happen to them over two-legged ties we've seen it against Tottenham we've seen it against Liverpool we've seen it against Lyon we saw it against Chelsea in the final last season when he picked that weird team that I still don't understand and lost the game 1-0. Just weird stuff happens to City in the Champions League. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, the, the key sort of factor in these knockout competitions that we can't quantify is luck. You do need a little bit of luck, whether that be with the draw, with who you play, um, or be that in games with players taking chances or goalkeepers making saves or deflections that take shots wide. Uh, And that's something that we can't quantify. But what we can look at with uh, a great degree of certainty is that if Real Madrid play at their best and Manchester City play at their best, there's only one winner of this game and this tie, and that's Manchester City. Um, Like Mark said, when Real Madrid went to uh, play Paris Saint-Germain, for the first 180 minutes of uh, of that tie, they were so far second best, it was untrue. Um, And against Chelsea... You know, they won the first leg quite comfortably, but that was just due due to clinical finishing from Benzema, a goalkeeping lapse from Mendy. um, And overall, the two-legged XG total read 4.7 to 2.1 in Chelsea's favour. So Chelsea should have come through that tie if they'd have taken their chances. So, um, yeah, 
and you know, away from home in general in this season's competition, Real Madrid have posted negative XG process, which means that they've been outcreated by their opponents. Um, they're generating 1.3 expected goals for per away game uh, and allowing 1.6. Uh, and the, the, the take on a Man City team that not only have the attacking capability to do some real damage to what you know what has looked like a vulnerable defence of Real Madrid, but they've got a defence that has the ability to keep Benzema and Vinicius very quiet. Admittedly, there are some potentially key absentees, which might make that a little bit more uh, of, an, of a balance, an even game at that end of the pitch. But um, yeah, I'm fully expecting City to get the job done here. And, and I think the midfield battle will be crucial. And Man City's midfield is uh, is not only the starting midfield is much better than Real Madrid's in my opinion, but I think the players that they can bring off the bench as well will give them a massive, um, massive advantage in that department so I had the same bet written down as Mark um, City to win under three and a half goals I do think one one interesting angle there aren't any prices currently up um, in the card markets but we've got a really good referee for cards in this game um, it's Van Kovac I think I've said that right he's averaging around 5.1 cards per game he's the guy who took over uh, who looked after Sevilla versus Lille I think there's 11 yellows in that game uh, in this Champions League. So I'm expecting plenty of cards and we know that Vinicius is one of the trickier customers in Europe to deal with. Uh, and with Kyle Walker potentially missing, Cancelo suspended, whoever plays at right back is going to be shoehorned in there for Manchester City. And I would expect Vinicius to cause some serious headaches forever is is put in there, uh, be it Ruben Diaz maybe. You know, there's every chance, as we've said, Guardiola does something Typically, Guardiola plays a back three and maybe puts Raheem Sterling as a right wing back or something like that. In which case, you you know Sterling to be carded looks an absolute bet. Um, so that that's just another angle to keep an eye on. Whoever ends up playing down the right for City uh, up against Vinicius, um, back them to be carded. So it's pretty much unanimous then, and none of these guys will be going to the Bernabeu anytime soon. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet, so Betfair's now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds, over-under, and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. Moving on to Anfield then, as Liverpool face Villarreal. Mark, Villarreal, the outsiders here at 13 on the exchange. They've knocked out Juventus. They've knocked out Bayern Munich. Is it time to put a bit of respect on their name or is this where they really meet their match? Because my feeling is that I've got immense respect for what Villarreal have done. But I just think Liverpool are going to overpower them over the two legs, aren't they? Yeah, I agree. I think you can be in both camps as well. You can give Villarreal a bit, a bit more respect, but also be of the opinion that Liverpool just simply are too good for them. And again, we've got a really high goal expectancy here, which is around 3.1. It's not something I can massively buy into, in all honesty, the, the first leg of a Champions League semi-final uh, against the Unai Emery team in particular. And, you know, if you look at the Asian handicap, it's, it's not far off being a, a set at two. Uh, it's one and three quarters at the minute. And that's that's pr- pretty steep for a Champions League semi-final, regardless of, of who's playing. Um, Feels obviously... way too high, that, doesn't it? Because they're just going to do a much better job of what Everton tried to do on Sunday, which is play in the low block, cause a threat on the counter, and they can score goals. They've shown that. They can, for sure. And um, I think we can get some kind of an idea of how they're going to set up because of how they played against Bayern Munich, more so than, than Juventus. Juve are a fading force. Obviously, Bayern probably weren't uh, at the same sort of yardstick we expect them to be or, or the market expected them to be this season. But even still, they did concede uh, 45 shots to Bayern across the two legs. 
The 25 of those shots were from, out, from outside the penalty area. And Bayern generated a, an XG of around three over the two legs, which isn't great when you th think about it, really. And, you know, take it uh, an XG per shot. It's around 0 0.07. They only can, um, set up or, or created one big chance, uh, an opportunity where an attacker is realistically expected to score. That doesn't count Thomas Muller's miss in the first leg because he didn't connect with the ball. But even still, that's, that's not a fantastic tally, really, from a Bayern perspective. And, you know, the second leg, I think they mustered under 1.2 XG from open play. That's when they're chasing the tie as well. So Villarreal tactically just exploited Bayern's weaknesses and made it very difficult for them to, to play through them. But uh, I think Bayern, it, it's a difficult task for them. They're not often set up against uh, compact, deep-line defences in the Bundesliga, whereas I think Liverpool are much more accustomed to that kind of task in the Premier League. You know, Sunday was a great example of that against Everton. Um, and I just think in possession, Liverpool move the ball quicker. They're a bit more penetrative with the ball. Uh, they're smart enough to drag players out of position, have that X factor to create and convert. They're at Anfield, European night, uh, plus the ability out of possession to press teams into mistakes as well. There's so many different ways Liverpool can score and, and beat you. Uh, it's not just in possession. You know, dead ball situations, they've been fantastic in recent weeks, um, you know, ex exploiting teams defensively there. So, yeah, it's, it's hard not to like Liverpool here uh, because if we want to just be pretty blunt about it, they are one of the best teams on the planet right now, if not the best, playing a team who won't finish in the top four in La Liga this season. And I know Villarreal have had their eyes on, on a different prize in, in the last few weeks, but massive doubts again surrounding Gerard Moreno's fitness coming into this match. Um, they were fortunate not to have a game this weekend, but it sounds like he might be missing the match. So there's been sort of conflicting reports coming out, but the, the reports this morning don't sound too promising and, and that's a blow. Um, so yeah, they're going to be rigid. They'll be resilient defensively. They'll look to Dan Juma's pace, probably in behind Alexander-Arnold. Uh, Liverpool do play a very high defensive line, but at the same, point, same time, their offside trap is is unbelievably successful. If you look at the sort of offsides they get per game, it's it's ridiculous compared to the league. So that's something Emery will probably look at and try and exploit if they can try and time things correctly. But that comes down to Liverpool's press being superb as well. So by the time Liverpool, sorry, Villarreal get opportunity to win the ball back and, and get the ball at their feet, Liverpool are straight in their faces. So that ball has to be spot on from uh, Lo Celso or, or Pareo or whoever's getting the ball in, in decent positions. So yeah, it does feel like this might be Villarreal's... Um, sort of ending. Um, Liverpool do have a very busy, busy schedule. They play Wednesday, then they play Newcastle again on Saturday. They've had a very busy few weeks, a few tough matches as well. So I'm not expecting them to run Briar. I think uh, they will be quite keen to just kind of get this game done and dusted and move on and, and hopefully take a first leg lead to Spain next week. So, um, And I've not even mentioned their defence this year, which has been you know, absolutely superb in fairness. So, yeah, I think Liverpool to win um, would be where I'll be heading here. They're very short price, so you can chuck in under three and a half goals again and get it up to five five to four, which is 2.26 on the exchange. Um, I think that's fair enough. I, I'd be surprised if anyone's backing the over three goal line or even backing Liverpool to overcome a two goal Asian handicap hurdle. So I think this kind of marries up the two angles at a nice price. If you do use the Bet Builder, by the way, our fantastic Ackers and Bet Builders offer is running every day. Bet £10 on Ackers or Bet Builders and receive a £2 free bet to use on Ackers or Bet Builders. T's and C's apply. Jake, one of the hills I'm willing to die on is that Geronimo Rulli, the goalkeeper for Villarreal, is rubbish. I think <laughs> he is a nightmare in terms of coming for crosses. Uh, I think he makes mistakes. I think he's an accident waiting to happen. I think he's true Truly, truly remarkable that Villarreal have got to a semi-final of the Champions League with a goalkeeper who looks like he's won a raffle to play. So, I take it you're not basis, his agent then. 
No, absolutely no. not. It would be a very <laughs> curious way of uh, going about my business if I was. Uh, however, they do seem to be able to dig in, and he's got incredible defenders in front of him. But you've made the point quite regularly on this show this season that Villarreal away from home, the process is totally different to the team at home. So is that a real problem for them going to Anfield? It is, yeah. Um, it's a massive problem, really, because they're coming up against arguably the best attacking team in Europe, maybe the world. Um, a team that, like Mark says, have got a busy schedule, but um, you know the squad that they've got now to be able to rotate and you know you just think at the weekend, Luis Diaz played half an hour, so he'll probably be fresh for this one. Sadio Mane got brought off after an hour, so again, he'll be nice and fresh. Uh, Diba Carigi had a little cameo just to remind everyone that he's capable of playing as a as a sort of what do you call him? A, a what a player. He's a pin Honestly, striker. what a player. Because I was thinking about this after he scored the goal. I mean, you think the, the two goals against Barcelona in that comeback, scores in the Champions League final, he's got loads of goals in Merseyside derbies. He barely plays. It's, he, it's truly he barely, bizarre. He barely plays. And, and I think there's, there's not not that I'm you know massively hyping up Divock Origi here, but there has been a little bit of disrespect in the sense that they've been talking about Liverpool's front five. I actually think it's a front six purely because Origi gives Liverpool something that no none of the other five do, which is a big, tall body who's also quick, who can link the play a lot better than potentially the likes of Mane and Salah can. So when you are playing a deep line block like Everton did at the weekend, he is perfect for that role to come in and bounce passes off and be a threat be a be a body a big body in there that, that the other guys aren't so um he might well prove to be uh you know potentially key man in this tie if, if it goes the same way as the Everton game did with Villarreal sitting deeper and deeper and deeper um and it allows Klopp to play three of his front five with Origi in support um and that that could be something to, to keep an eye on because his goals ratio for Liverpool, it, it, when he, it goals for minutes anyway, it's fantastic. Um, I'm fully expecting Liverpool to get the win here, but it was a little bit concerning the sort of space that Everton enjoyed on the counter attack uh, at the weekend, and it's something we have seen obviously quite a lot this season. It, as Mark said, usually the offside trap is works perfectly for Liverpool, um, but even against Benfica, there were signs that that, that high line could be ex- exposed. I know again Liverpool made quite a few changes to the back line in that game, but. Um, Villarreal are a team that are much more concise with their attack, counter-attacking uh, play. They've got much better passes and they've got much better runners, much smarter runners. And I'm sure that Unai Emery will have um, sort of, you know, the X's and O's on the tactics board of just literally nailing down. This is what happens when we turn the ball over. This is where you're running. This is where you're passing. Uh, just to try and exploit that. And I did think that, that Villarreal can get a goal at Anfield. Um and obviously Liverpool will score at some point. So I was looking at both teams to score, uh, which is around 2.12 on the exchange. Um, not only is that because of the counter-attacking ability of Villarreal, but in general, in the Champions League, they've created a lot of chances this season. Average 1.9 expected goals for per game, which is um, a really high number for a team that we expect to be quite defensive-minded. I know the group stage, you played what's you know the shell of Manchester United, um, Atalanta, Young boys, um, Juventus, they had tightened up defensively under a leg group. Villarreal went there and put three XG on them over two legs. And they obviously scored twice against Bayern Munich. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Villarreal go to Anfield and score a couple of, score a goal at the very least, um, you know. And obviously Liverpool's attacking lineup speaks for itself. It, 
if anything, the Everton game was a good warm-up for Liverpool because if, if Villarreal are going to do what we expect them to do, then they've had a sort of a precursor. They've got an idea of what's, what they're going to face. They'll be obviously much more organised than Everton were. Uh, they'll probably keep the concentration better. They have the benefit of keeping of making five subs if needs be to freshen things up, whereas Everton could only make three. Um, but again, that could f- could fall into Liverpool's hands as well, being able to bring on some some fresh legs out wide. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I'm, I don't think it'll be an absolute walkover for Liverpool. I've got it maybe 2-1 Liverpool in this first leg. Um, but I do think both teams' to score looked a little bit big at 2.12, just given what we've seen from Villarreal this season, uh, and particularly Dan Juma, who could cause some real issues uh, in behind Trent down that, that right-hand side of Liverpool. And one of the interesting things here, I guess, is that if you look at the previous two ties, Villarreal played at home and then played away. But obviously this is reverse, so that might change the dynamic a little bit. Two British sides face two German teams in the semi-finals of the Europa League on Thursday. West Ham 1.98 to beat Eintracht Frankfurt in the first leg. But the Eagles won in Barcelona in the previous round in front of about 2 million Frankfurt fans who managed to get uh, into the stadium. Not quite 2 million, but it felt like it. Stinch, West Ham a bit depleted in defence. They've clearly junked the Premier League to some extent because they're fully concentrating on the Europa League and, and why not? But you look at the way Frankfurt played in Barcelona, you look at the way they played away at Betis, they packed a real punch, didn't they? Yeah, I feel like the, the market is underrating Frankfurt here um you said West Ham were was it 1.98 to, yeah. to win first that leg feels short doesn't it yeah it feels a bit short I'm gonna I mean I'm gonna say that I'm gonna play it safer but you could argue that it w- would would maybe backfire um if they were to win this but then lose the next week and get knocked out I was looking at Frankfurt to qualify at six to four I just expected it to be a lot more 50 50 than yeah, than, than that that I think that's like quite a big disparity. Um, I mean, you know, full full uh, full of praise for West Ham knocking out sort of two European giants, really, especially in the Europa League in Lyon and Sevilla. Very 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 impressive to have knocked both of those out. But then, as you mentioned, you know, Frankfurt have, have arguably knocked out two bigger ones in in Barcelona, or at least Barcelona themselves and Real Betis. And Betis have having a decent season, having just won the yeah. the Copa del Rey. Um, Obviously, West Ham beat Leon 4-1 on aggregate, but if you looked at the the expected goals in, in across those two ties, uh, Leon had 4.2 to West Ham's 1.8. So a lot of clinical finishing there, and, and maybe rode their luck a bit defensively. But the thing is that in terms of Frankfurt, I thought it was massively impressive that they won the XG battle in both of their ties against Barcelona and Betis. And that's four matches across, and across those four matches, they were they created the better chances. So. I've, full of admiration for for what they're doing and given the fact that only Craig Dawson's available centre-back for West Ham I think that could be something that you know somebody like Kostic really could target with his delivery from set pieces in particular um Frankfurt have got a whole host of uh of dangerous players you know they're not reliant on sort of one player uh or one or two players maybe like I think perhaps West Ham a bit over-reliant on perhaps Jared Bowen now Antonio seems to have cooled down a bit so it's like if Bowen doesn't score who's kind of gonna gonna score kind of thing um see so yeah, I think Frankfurt to qualify at six to four is 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 a good bet and yeah you could maybe lay West Ham here uh so yeah you know that would be like a, a an even money shot I just feel like if if um yeah just going for a bit of a bigger price here um and then yeah hopefully 
hopefully Frankfurt would, if they got the job, if they got the job done in the first leg, or if at least they avoided defeat, for example, in the first leg, they would go on and, and you know, with home advantage in the second leg, capitalise. Um, I think, yeah, maybe West Ham season just starting to catch up with them a little bit. Um, and a lot of those defensive players that will be involved Thursday, I think, had a, had a very tough battle. Pretty much 90 minutes, wasn't it, really, of defending against Chelsea, yeah. which they did admirably well, don't get me wrong. But then that split second where Dawson switches off and, you know, allows Lukaku to turn him, you know, that's the sort of thing that can, you know, that's the fine margins that separate sides. So, yeah, I think Frankfurt to qualify at 6-4. to four, And, I, and uh, I had a look at the goal scorers. I thought there's an interesting one in Daichi Kamada to score yeah. any time at 9-2. to two. Um, he's only got eight goals in 40 starts this season, but he's got four of those in nine Europa League games. And I think he's got a bit of a love affair with the Europa League because if you he's look back... He's a totally different player, Stinch, honestly. In, in those Europa League games, if you, if you looked at him in the Bundesliga, you'd think, OK, there's some nice stuff there, some decent touches. He's a monster in the Europa League. It's crazy, the difference. Yeah, I mean, if you look back over the last two campaigns, so you go back to not last season, but 1920 uh, when Frankfurt were in the Europa League and they made the semis right against Chelsea. That's right. Um, 10 goals in 21 games. So it just goes to show you that, as you say, he comes alive in Europe and that includes a hat-trick against Salzburg. We all know our reasonable level. Uh, a brace at the Emirates against Arsenal. So he's done yeah. it on English soil already. He plays in that number 10 position just behind the striker. So you know, a great, a great position to be in. And rather than be like a big shooter, he tends to be a player that sort of times his runs into the box. Well, um, cause he only averages 1.6 shots per game, but crucially 1.1 of those come inside the penalty area. And that's where his, all his goals come from anyway. So yeah, I think he could be one that, uh, to, to back there at nine to two and also to back him to score two or more at 50 to one. Big prices, as is often the case with Stinch. He likes a good swing and he often connects. Um, Mark, it's a funny one, this, because Frankfurt, if you looked at their Bundesliga form, it's not that great. It hasn't been that great all season. But it's one of those intangibles where in this competition, with the support they get, they come alive. And they've really focused on this competition in the last couple of months. And that's perfectly understandable. Sorry, Kev, just quickly failed to mention that they won in Bayern as well this season. So they've won yes, in Bayern and Barca they did. just That's to show right. their sort of fluctuation in mad form. Yeah, they can, they can go to the big teams, play with no fear. And they've got a good coach as well, Mark, haven't they, and Oliver Glasner? Certainly, yeah. I think he's uh, he was a real coup for them last summer. So I, I think this is a, a really trappy game for West Ham, who you know we we know have their eyes on this prize now, making six changes ahead of Chelsea, starting Rice, Antonio, and Bowen on the bench. Moyes hasn't rotated much this season, so it was quite a, a clear showing that this was now their their intentions, and they had to switch system as well because of those centre back absentees. Three four three now from four two three one. No Zuma or Bonner or Diop. And you look at the three centre-halves, it was Johnson, Dawson and Cresswell. So effectively two full-backs and Dawson with Sufal and Masuaku as wing-backs. Doesn't really fill me with confidence in, in all honesty. And, and Stinch kind of touched, touched on it quite quite a lot there, really, in, in terms of um, West Ham are quite a, a physical and tall team by nature. But um, you know, defending set-pieces, you've still got you know, Suchek, Rice, Antonio who can help out. But Frankfurt have plenty of aerial threats. But... Costage delivery from set pieces is is so key, really, and he's been instrumental, particularly in that those games against Barcelona. So, yeah, this is a really trappy game, I think, for West Ham. The first leg at the London Stadium, as it was against Lyon, they disappointed in that first leg against Lyon a few weeks back. Big expectation, big crowd. I know Cresswell was sent off before half time, but 
even before then, Leon were in complete control in terms of dominating possession and territory and chances too. So, yeah, I wouldn't be backing West Ham at odds on quotes here at all. I like Stinch's idea of backing Frankfurt to qualify at those prices. But an alternative as well, I thought Philip Kostic to, to score or assist at 2.75 on the on the sportsbook was really quite appealing. He's got 13. That's a massive price, isn't it, Mark? <laughs> it is. I mean, assists alone, he's got 13 and 35 across the Bundesliga and the Europa League. Um, and yeah, you just look at those those options he has to hit from set ball, set piece situations, plus his ability to score from distance uh, or get on the get on the end of opportunities as well. Uh, a wonderful player when he's in the mood and, and on his on form at the minute. And I think he's played a key role in four of his last six games of either creating a goal or scoring himself. That's across the league and, and Europa League too. So a man in form, a big occasion. Uh, I, I like the opportunity to get involved. Two point seven five for that. I know the guy who writes the Europa League previews for betting.betfair.com and I've got a feeling that Costage bet might well be in his preview. Jake, let's take it to the Red Bull Arena, shall we? RB Leipzig against Rangers. Leipzig, for me, bit short at 1.43. They've had a lot of games recently. They've just had two bruising encounters with Union Berlin. First in the Cup, they didn't play very well. Got a late winner with Emil Forsberg. Probably didn't deserve to win that game. Looked as if they were vulnerable on the counter. And they actually lost to Union at the weekend in the league. They were 1-0 up late on and lost 2-1. And you couldn't really argue against that either. So even though there's a deep squad there, even though they've been, for me, the best team in Germany in 2022, this is not a foregone conclusion against a Rangers team that's played, to be fair, well above its level in the Europa League. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think that they do deserve a bit of respect, Rangers. But I, I that's just your tone where you're going to disagree with me. I know you, <laughs> Oscar Thorpe. That's your. Yeah, you're right, but you're wrong. You're really, really wrong. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, uh, I think there's a massive golfing class between these two, um, and I think the, you know, the, the 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 quarterfinal ties kind of said it all really because I don't rate Braga that highly, and Rangers struggled to get past them. I think we all rate Atalanta very highly, maybe not been as good as uh, this season as they have in the last few campaigns, but Leipzig made, um, you know, absolute mincemeat of them really over two legs. They racked up over five XG um, and, you know, should have won more comfortably really than the, than the, the actual two-legged scoreline suggests. And you mentioned there the deep squad. Um, it's worth noting that Rangers played at the weekend in a, a big game. They were played most of the game with 10 men um, in Scottish Prem. So they could be um, find themselves a little bit leggy as well heading into this game. Um, and yeah, I, I think that we could be in for quite a, a high-scoring game uh, here. I know Rangers do tend to try and keep things tight in the first leg, particularly away from home, um, and then try and use Ibrox's advantage to sort of press home uh, and, and qualify. But I think the way in which Leipzig have played under Tedesco uh, has been really sort of attack-minded, gung-ho, uh, in the Bundesliga alone, they've averaged 1.8 expected goals four per game. So they've been creating plenty of chances. Uh, and as I've said, in, in Europe, they've really stepped on the gas um, and, and deservedly gets, got to this stage. And Rangers post a negative XG process away from home in the Europa League, um, generating just 0.9 expected goals four per away game. I just think this is going to be uh, maybe not so much a comfortable Leipzig win, but I do think it'll be a high scoring one. I can see it being maybe 2-1 or 3-1. So I was pleasantly surprised to see Leipzig to win and over two and a half goals uh, around the even money mark on the uh, on the bet builder. So that, that's where I'm going to go with that one. I, I do think that, that Leipzig will qualify. I think over two legs, they'll prove too strong. 
Mark, if Rangers are going to suffer against Leipzig, it's probably going to be at the hands of Christopher and Kunku. I think we're all massive fans of his. I think we've established that on the show this season. 30 goals in all competitions. And for me, and I'm glad that this has been the case, but the market's been a little slow to cotton on to him because he's odds against to score in almost every game. I mean, sometimes as big as 2.7, 3.1, and your eyes light up every time that's the case. Yeah, it's the bet I've got noted down for this match, actually. <laughs> Christopher and Cuckoo to score at 2.3, slightly shorter than usual. But, you know, uh, Leipzig are coming into this game with a few suspensions. Kevin Campbell, Willie Orban, uh, Mohamed Simakan as well. They're all banned. Uh, so that will require a bit of a reshuffle, particularly at the back. And um, that's why I think, you know, we've seen some of their performances in recent weeks. I know they've had a taxing week, but the, the performance away at Leverkusen, the performance away at Atalanta in the, final, in the recent round, and even away at Bayern back in February as well, um, just really impressive, particularly in the way they shift gears through midfield and, and get the ball to forward areas like Nkunku, who, as you say, has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, I think a reason for him being slightly undervalued in, in the market is just because he's very, very hot compared to his expected goals output. He's, he's you know, punching well above his weight in that regard. So he's a wonderful creator too. He's very important. I actually rewatched rewatched some of his goals uh, recently this morning just to just to sort of you know pin down my selection here and there's such a different range of goals as well long range arriving in the box for tap-ins penalties you know he has been the Bundesliga's MVP this year and um, I think he's gonna be a real threat for a Rangers team who uh, Jake's right I think about the the performance against Braga he took advantage of a, a ramshackle Dortmund really who I think were hugely complacent in that in that fixture against Rangers and then as well you look at their performances over two legs against against Red Star um, kind of required the the Ibrox factor there and, and as well just second best in, in two league meetings recently with Celtic uh, the Scottish Cup semi-final was a bit, a bit more of an even affair but that's kind of the oper- the, the level Rangers are operating at, operating at and sure they, they can improve on that level and, and be better and they do raise themselves for these European fixtures but this is a, a very different beast you know Leipzig are in Fantastic nick under Domenico Tedesco and and Nkunku is absolutely one, having a wonderful season. So I think two point three on him to score is is a nice angle into this one. Perfect way for Mark to get out of changing nappies is to pretend that he has to watch a YouTube compilation of Christopher and Kunku. The Europa Conference League has had some lovely moments as Leicester's incredible comeback against PSV means they're through to the semi-finals. The take on Roma at the King Power on Thursday. Leicester the 2.3 favourites to win the first leg. It's funny the journey Leicester have gone on, Stinch, because they've gone from Brendan Rodgers rather rudely saying he didn't even know what the Conference League was, to actually a situation where this is one of Leicester's biggest games in their history. You know, European semi-final against a massive Italian club. I do wonder whether that price underrates Roma a bit, though. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's I mean, Leicester 11-10 to 10 on the sports book, and I just thought that just looks madly short. Um the way the way it's, the game's been chalked up as if it's uh, as if Leicester are stronger really than Roma based on on those prices or, or maybe fifty um, fifty at worst and I just think the way Leicester have behaved this season it can't that can't be true really I mean you just look at the the basic facts Leicester have won just eleven of, of thirty two games in the Premier League it's just thirty four percent. Um, they're knocked out of a Europa League group that contained Napoli, Spartak, Moscow, and, and Legia Warsaw. Um, I looked at Leicester across the league in Europe. Their goal difference is just plus four, and if you exclude the two games against Randers, it drops to minus one. 
that's, that's just that's far be- too below expectations for for a team that is really probably what top seven, top six Premier League team. You're not you're not telling me that Man United, in terms of their process, is is a better than Leicester really with the players available and the, the tactical nous they have. I mean. You know, Leicester have been on the cusp of breaking into the top four the last couple of seasons, and other, I know injuries have played a big part, but um, they have they have misfired once too many times really this season to trust them at these odds. Um, you look at Roma on the other hand, they've won 17 of their 34 games in Serie A, obviously 50% compared to Leicester's 34%. Their goal difference in Serie A is plus 15. Um, you look at their the the two teams like attacking and defensive process in terms of creating and and defending big chances Leicester create 1.3 expected goals per game but concede 1.9 Roma create 1.7 but concede 1.2 in Serie A Roma concede the second fewest shots per game just 9.9 you compare that to Leicester concede the third most in the Premier League at 15 obviously you know you can play sometimes a bit uh, fast and loose with the facts recently Leicester have probably been resting players between these matches so those statistics could arguably get worse um but still it doesn't make for very good reading and yeah i think if you just as i said if if you remove home advantage these odds suggest that the teams are very similar in in ability or in terms of consistency and i just don't think that can be true based on the evidence so yeah i think laying leicester at that 2.3 so you're kind of backing them not to win 8 to 11 is the way to go and Jake, you think about the attacking talent that Roma have. We saw Nicolo Zaniolo score that brilliant hat-trick against Berda Glimt recently. We've seen Tammy Abraham score goals all the way through the season, not just in Serie A, but also in the Conference League. And Roma have, even though Mourinho kicks off every so often, as he's always going to do, taken this seriously. And it's actually paid off. It has, yeah. Um, I d- I think it is everything Singh said there. It is worth just hammering home just how bad Leicester have been this season because you know they they sit mid table on the actual table, but based on the expected goal numbers, the expected points numbers, they should be in the bottom three right now. I know they've had a couple of games in hand, but they should be in a relegation scrap rather than mid table like mediocrity. That's how poor they've been. Defensively, they've been absolutely woeful. Is that because Fafana's been out, though, all season? Suddenly he's back and they look a bit better. Johnny Evans has been in and out. Is that... Can we put that all down to injuries or actually is that a bit of an excuse? Uh, You can put some of it down to injuries, but I I don't think you can go one player, Fafana's out, the whole thing falls apart because then you've not built a very good team, have you? Or a very good squad. Um, I think, it, you know, not only is the defence fallen out, but also the attack has actually got worse. I know they've got a couple of exciting players there, likes of Harvey Barnes, obviously Daka. I'm a big fan of Pats and Daka, Iheanacho. But they've stopped creating chances uh, at the same rate as they have done for the two previous seasons where they almost finished in the top four. Uh, their XGF average has gone from around 1.7 over those two seasons to, as Stinch said, 1.3. So they're creating, you know, nearly... Well, we would say, on average, one big chance less per game. We classify a big chance as around 0.35 xG. Um, and, you know, defensively, they're, they're, the numbers have jumped up to about, by about 0.6 um, expected goals against per game, which is just an incredible number. Um, and it does show potentially, um, you know, not only a weak link at, at centre-half, if Fafana is out, but also in the central midfield areas, um, potentially letting 
players get through very easily. We know there's a massive weakness from set pieces as well at Leicester. Um, and I also think that Kasper Schmeichel has not been up to his lofty standards this season and the, the underlying numbers show that as well. So very keen, uh, as Stinch said, to get Roma on side in some way in this game because I do think that Roma are much more uh, of a complete team heading to the King Power. I think they've got a lot more avenues in which they can create chances than Leicester. Uh, still question marks around them defensively as well, obviously. Um, they've conceded quite a few goals in Serie A, but <clears throat> I think if it becomes a shootout, I would fancy Roma uh, a lot more than than I would Leicester. And, you know, I do think one to watch is Tammy Abraham. You know, I think is this his first time back on English soil after after being sold by Chelsea? He'll be looking to make a statement. Um, and, you know, like you said there, Fafana, is he... Is he up to the task of, of managing uh, Tammy Abraham. We'll, we'll wait. We'll have to wait and see. Because I do think Tammy Abraham uh, is, you know, a very, very good striker, um, and I think he'll he'll be up for making a show. Um, I'm sure Southgate will be at the game as well. Maybe an opportunity to get back in the England squad. Um, so yeah, I'll be looking at Roma plus a quarter on the Asian handicap. It's about even money. Uh, Lane Leicester's a great a great option as well, and, and Tammy Abraham just to score any time I think is is a potential. Just given the amount of chances Leicester do ship, and as I've said, set piece weaknesses. We know how big Tammy Abraham is, how good he is with his head. Um, there's a chance there, so yeah, very pro Roma. And if Gareth Southgate wasn't going to go to that game, Jake's now forced him into it. Yeah, he will uh, be there. He's told me. Okay, (laughs) he's been going through Southgate's diary again. Uh, Mark, let's take it to the Netherlands. Feyenoord against Marseille. That's the other semi-final in the Conference League. The Dutch hosts, I must admit, surprisingly short for me, 2.22 to take a first leg advantage. Given the season Marseille have had, both domestically and in this competition, I know they didn't do great in the Europa League I'm a little surprised there's that disparity I agree yeah I like Marseille uh, you can get Marseille with a quarter goal start on the Asian handicap at, at 1.88 on the exchange which looks like a, a great angle in for me um, I know Steve Mandanda was was called into plenty of action in, in the second leg away at Powak in the quarterfinals but over the course of the two legs Marseille were comfortably the better team uh, picked up a great win at Rams on Sunday night to sustain themselves in second place in Liga. and we talked about them and their performance at PSG the week previous they gave them a really tough tough evening that time and showed they can compete against the best teams um, particularly domestically but also on the continent and I think they can be quite rightly presumed to be the second best team in France right now and uh, Feyenoord certainly aren't the second best team in, in the Netherlands right now. They're, they're sort of scrapping for the top four at the minute. They required a, a stoppage time winner against Utrecht on Sunday night um, to sort of get, uh, hold on to their position. Um, they have been flat track bullies as well this season in the Eredivisie. They've dropped points um, just once against teams in ninth and below. Um, so yeah, 10th would be the sort of the start of the, the bottom half there. Uh, against the top eight, they've got three wins, three draws and six defeats. Uh, and they gave away loads of really big opportunities against Slavia Prague in the quarterfinals as well. So kind of fortunate to even be here. They haven't even had the toughest route to get to this stage either. If you look at the, the teams they've played, whereas um, Marseille, best away record in Liga so far this season. They've won all of their Conference League away days at Basel, Pauk and, and Karabag. Picked up points at Locomotive Moscow and Lazio in the Europa League despite uh, you know, exiting that competition early doors as well. So... Yeah, I think they're being uh, slightly undervalued here. So I think you can back them with a quarter goal start at a nice price. 
Well, that's all we have time for on this European edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Every single Champions League and Europa League game gets its own dedicated preview on betting.betfair.com. We also have weekly columns on Liga, Serie A, La Liga and the Bundesliga. From Jake, from Mark, from Stinch and from me, it's goodbye for now. <laughs>